Good, good, good. All right. Welcome to Brave Space Live, a show about anti-oppression, communal healing. And each week we pick a hard-hitting, I don't know if they're always hard-hitting, but anyway, a hard-hitting topic and dive right into the awkwardness. I'm Tyshelle, a trained clinical social worker, educator, and diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner. And this is my co-host, Mel. I'm Mel. I'm an author, an activist, and a social ethicist. Every time. Yeah, so this week we are welcoming a guest, Dr. Excuse me, Reverend Dr. Monica Joy Cross. Uh, so uh, we're going to read a short bio and then bring her on. Really looking forward to this conversation. So Reverend Dr. Monica Joy Cross, that's a lot of titles. That is so awesome. Love it. Serves as the pastor at First Christian Church of Oakland in Oakland, California. She is an associate minister at Tapestry Ministries, Disciple of Christ Christian Church in Berkeley, California, and director of women's ministries in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ Northern California in Nevada. She's a transformational leader fellow of the Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle of Auburn Seminary in New York City. She's the founder of the Global Prayer Network, the author of multiple books, including Reflections of a Prophet Without Honor, which is an autobiographical book of reflections that emerged from her life with God. And she is also the author of a book called Authenticity and Imagination in the Face of Oppression, which addresses gender, race, religion, sexuality, and strategies toward liberation. Monica is also on the Prophetic Council of the Poor People's Campaign and the board and on the board of Trans Heartline, a nonprofit organization that supports, provides support for transgender people. Originally from Los Angeles, California, Monica now resides in the San Francisco Bay Area. We are so honored to have Dr. Reverend Dr. Monica Joy Cross, who has said we can call her Monica from henceforth. So let's welcome Monica onto the show. Hi, Monica. Hi, Thank you. glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Also, you use the words henceforth, Mel, and I've never heard anybody actually henceforth. use that in a sentence. So just, henceforth. I loved it. I loved Did it. I say henceforth? You said she, henceforth. we can call her Monica henceforth. And I said, yes. I, I think the fanciest word I use is moreover, but I love that too. I so, think I need to speak in Old English from now on, I guess. <laughs> henceforth. Monica, we're so, so, so excited to have you and have you come talk to us and give us some knowledge about and background about who you are, what you do. And we really wanted to talk about, honestly, for me, it's, it's talking about your life because it's so interesting. I was reading some of the uh -huh. articles that you've written and hearing, you know, being a reverend, a doctor and all of the places that you sit. So we'd love to just start with, unless you had another question, Mel, just hearing about some of your background, what, where you, where you're from, kind of some of your life story and what led you to the work that you do. Well, uh, thank you, Tyshell and Mel. Uh, so I grew up in LA, not Louisiana, but Los Angeles. Uh, I grew up there. Uh, and, you know, when I was a kid, a little kid, I had inklings of trans stuff. I didn't have the language for it. We're talking South Central. So it just didn't have the language. South Central. So I uh, grew up, joined the Navy, went around the world for a little bit. Uh, well, I did that. Uh, I started really getting deep into my faith, right? What is faith, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and that's when the whole gender stuff really started to, started to come out. Because I realized at that point that all the thoughts I had back in South Central were real. I just didn't have a language for it. So the more I got to know my understanding of God, the more uh, I came out as trans. Now, by this time, I'm married with two kids. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Married two kids in Washington, D.C., doing my thing. And I had to grapple with this, this whole thing. But I, in order for me to live my truth, I had certain things had to fall apart or come back together in a different way. Uh, 
So I wanted him. It was hard. It was really, really hard. Till by that time, I had gotten things squared away, you know. And also, being a black man in America is one thing. Being a black trans woman, oh my god. So I had to grapple with all of that. Um, but what kept me going was my mother. Mm-hmm. My biggest cheerleader was my mother. Uh, my faith, and of course, this place called Nutty Buddies in Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> Well, we we might have to dig into what Nutty Buddies is a little bit. So you said a few things in there that made me really think about about the journey that you talk about. When you went into the Navy, how old were you when you went into? I was 23. 23. And you talked about finding your faith at that time. So what kind of led you to finding your faith while in the, you know, in the, is it the Marines or the Navy? I'm sorry, I don't want to get no, it wrong. Navy. In the Navy. Okay. Navy. I want to make sure. Um, what led you to finding your faith while you were there? Uh, you know, I think of the combination one I've been, I've been to Desert Storm, Desert Shield. I've been to war. Uh, I've been around different places. Oh, no, no. I, you know, sometimes the, the spirit moves in interesting ways. Uh, and you could have point in your life where the spirit is saying, okay, this is where we are. Uh, I won't even try to explain it. It's a spiritual uh, faith move that you can't mm-hmm. always. I don't know. I hope that makes sense. But it's like. No, I, I understand what you're saying. Like, you don't always know, but you're moved in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. And it came to a head. That's why I have a, a mad respect when people come out because it's not just a physical thing, it's also spiritual about coming out and if you choose not to come out that creates other problems right, right. so it's best to just come out and go through the the party <laughs> see what happens but yeah and, and multiple parties at that i would say right and, because it's not like a one-time thing no it's not uh-uh. what was it like for you to come out at that point you said you had a family you had kids and and everything did you find did you find you you had a good support network at the time? Uh, no, I'm in D.C. You know, D.C. is a, a hard-hitting place. You know, you have different facets. Like any city, you have different facets of it. I was in the military at the time. And so everything just fell apart. I was in military housing. Uh, that fell apart. Kids, everything gone. Um, only thing I had left was my faith. And so as I had, there was a preacher that said, you have to chew on scripture sometimes. Chew on scripture. I I found out what that means. (laughs) You got to chew on scripture just to make it through the day, to keep your mental health. The good thing is I was still out in the Navy. Uh, I was still able to do what I need to do. Uh, Yeah, so that kept me going. It kept me going. It kept me going. Well, one thing when I... What really got me really to to know that the spirit was there is when I so I actually had a a clearance. So I get mad when I hear knucklehead and his issues. Anyway, I had a clearance. <laughs> security clearance is that is that so much Yeah, security okay. clearance, right? For us non-military folks, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had security a high security clearance, uh, and I'm in TS top secret, and uh. I work in, in, in a really closed, called SCIF, a secure space, right? And so I had to have, uh, you have to go back and uh, get reinspected for your clearance. So the people came in, after my paperwork, and everybody on my paperwork was trans. Everybody was trans and from Nutty Buddies. <laughs> so, wow. so the, so the, and the, uh, and the inspector comes in and she says, oh, well, tell me about all these folks on your on your uh, paperwork. Well, I said, well, you know, I'm trans, you know, I, I mean, I say I'm gay, but I'm trans. Cause I said gay is fine. They can work with gay trans. Yeah, not so much. So come to find out she had she had a cousin who had the surgery. Mm. So she said, no, it's fine. We just want to make sure you can't get blackmailed. So I was trans, I was able to keep my clearance, but it just let me know how much I had to trust in the spirit uh, as I move forward. 
But that was a scary time for me. I, I could I I mean I would say I could only imagine, but I think I can't even imagine, to be honest. One of the things that you said that really moved me in as you talk about your story is having your mother, because we know so many trans youth, trans youth of color and trans youth in general lose family, especially when you layer on your identity, your religion on top mm-hmm. of one another, having your mother, um, if you could just speak to a little bit of what that felt like for you to have the comfort and the cheerleader, as you called it, for in your mother, because I think when I think about children and, and young trans youth and young black youth, young black trans youth, all of those identities together, mm-hmm. um, if there are parents listening, what it did for you um, to, to help you get to where you even are today. I'd love to hear about the love of your mother and how that, uh, you know, resonated in your life. Well, you know, it's interesting. So my mother's from New Orleans, the Orleans, as they say, right? <laughs> so she moved out to LA when I was like way, way in the womb somewhere. She moved to LA and she became a social worker. And her area was Hollywood, North Hollywood, Beverly Hills, those kind of places. Uh, so you're a social worker in Beverly Hills? Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. so she actually had trans folks who were part of her uh, her clients. Mm-hmm. So so uh, when I came out, she said, I'm good. I just never thought it happened in my own house. <laughs> but she said she was good. And she began to call me Monica like right off the bat. Wow, you know, and so she 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 was like she's always been my greatest supporter because she knows the only one she wants me to do is be safe. She don't care about nothing else. Just be safe. You know, live your life. I love you. I do do what you need to do. But yeah, so she's always been there for me. Now my sister's a whole different conversation. So she's she's a whole different conversation, which is a whole for a later time. Anyway, yeah, I just think about that because when we talk about what faith means, especially the the older we are, the older generations above us, when we talk about faith in our community, it mm-hmm. is, this is the way it's supposed to be and nothing else. So the exposure of your mother being a social worker in LA was that exposure where she wasn't, it wasn't foreign to her. It wasn't something yeah. that she couldn't see, touch, understand. And mm-hmm. I mean, still, even the, the point where you say, um, I, I'm okay with it, which is a, a great way to start. Um, I just never thought it would happen in my house because some people are okay if their child is gay or, or if they know somebody that's gay and trans, but when it's in their house, it's a different story. Exactly. Right. So yeah. having that, I think, is 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 so important because you know often what I hear from I mean I have a sister and a brother who are gay, neither of them being trans, but both of them who are mm-hmm. gay. It's it's this thought process of. Um, if the outside world hates me, that's one thing. But if the person I love the most, my family hates me, that's a different thing. That's a different beast to fight. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And then my mother, she would, uh, so I have cousins in New Orleans who, all LGBTQIA plus, all of them. And so she would send me news clippings of cousins who've been through this stuff. So it's almost like I said, now you tell me this, mom, why you tell me before? Right. I, I didn't have the language before, but if you told me this before, maybe there'd be some language there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a great supporter. Yeah. So happy to hear that. How did you get into working um, as an advocate for transgender issues and transgender community? Like the Poor People's Campaign, that's amazing. Um, you know, how, how did you get into that? And then, and I'd love to hear more about your work now with, with that campaign. Yeah. Uh, you know, Poor been off authentic means you can't be numb to what's going on you know uh i'm a, i'm more alive now than i have ever been because of all, being authentic and being real uh and realizing also that because i have had opportunities that a lot of my transgenders haven't i mean just being real there's a certain responsibility for me that goes with being trans, you know, such as, you know, standing up in Poor People's Campaign for poverty, all kind of stuff, and particularly for the transgender community. 
or uh, because I'm also a Navy vet who's trans, standing up for veterans who are trans. So, I mean, there's a responsibility that goes along with it. Even when I was going through PSR uh, and going through my little process at Pacific School of Religion, uh, I realized it just wasn't me. I represent a whole community. Uh, not because I, not because it's an ego trip, but it's just they're not going to see certain folks in certain spaces. And sometimes you're the only one there they'll be able to see. Uh, I was blessed to be able to go to a city refuge uh, where uh, Bishop Yvette Flunder is the pastor. I don't know if you've heard of her or not, but uh, she gets a lot of, of support regarding faith and community, uh, which also helped out a lot. Yeah, so that's kind of, but yeah, it's a matter of responsibility, you know. That is, I mean, and, and that's one of the things that I, I take is in the work that I do. So I do work in the area of DEI and it's, for me, it's a responsibility of love, right? When we mm -hmm. talk about love, we talk about, we think it's this very narrow scape. And for me, I was actually just saying this to someone that I do all of the work that I do because I love people and especially black women, right? Yeah. And this love comes with responsibility. And that's mm -hmm. any love. If you are a parent to a child, it's love, but it's responsibility. Mm -hmm. If you, mm -hmm. you know, have friends or you do this work, and especially the kind of work you do, I, 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 when you said that, it really resonated me with this responsibility for the folks who are not in the room, not for you to whether or not they are in the room, but this responsibility to if you're going to be seen to carry that with you, and it's not. Mm -hmm. It's not a way, and for the me, and I'm, I'm, I'm just ruminating. I mean, just going through this thought process. It's not necessarily though. It's a, a weight. It's a gift because if I'm being seen and I can bear responsibility for people who look like me, live like me, and who people who don't, then it's a gift that I get to have because somebody mm -hmm. sees me. So exactly. I, I hear that what you're saying. Yeah. So like right now, so I'm the uh, director of women's ministries for my church in our, our region of California. They never had a black transgender woman to be the minister of women's ministries, ever. I'm the first one. Right. So I it, within our region of 64 churches uh, with hundreds of women who are mainly white, most of them are white, you know, uh, I'm a black trans woman in, in leadership. <laughs> so I mean, so how I move in the world really does determine, like, if another black trans woman, well, how would they see her? Well, I was like this, no, we try her. Uh, so when you're pushing, almost like, uh, sometimes I feel like a midwife, but that's, you know, you're, you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the whole idea of uh, being, living a decolonized life of being ethical about it. Yeah. One of the things that you said, I wanted to relate back to a, a story that um, Mel said she wanted to tell. Just, I'm, I'm sure in the work that you do, you may be the first Black trans woman that many people have met. And you being able to live authentically in front of them will likely change how they engage with people, how they treat people, how they teach people. So Mel, if you could uh, share that story that you talked about, I'm, I'm just so excited to hear it. Yeah. Monica, you had an impact on my life. You really did in, in the way that I think about trans people. So I, it, my first year of seminary is when we had our class together. Monica and I had a class together at Pacific School like of Religion. It. Yeah. And I, I come from a really white conservative background. I had, I had very little exposure to people of color, let alone trans people of color. I, I didn't really even know what to think about this issue. I was kind of a baby, baby liberal. And I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have language for a lot of these things. I didn't have training or education and um, exposure. exposure. Yeah, no, nothing like that. So anyway, I remember Monica would walk into class every every class with these beautiful dresses, her hair done, her nails done. She just was like radiantly confident and she would raise her hand to speak and say like beautifully, you know, beautiful things. And, and um, you know, for a few weeks into class, you know, I just, I, I remember just, I don't know, just how, how you carried yourself with so much radiance is the only word I can use to express it. And, um, but one day you showed up to class looking very different. You, uh -huh. you were, you were, you looked like a male presenting person uh -huh. all of a sudden. I even thought you were a different student. I didn't even recognize you. 
So anyway, um, at the beginning of class, Monica raises her hand and she says something to the effect of, I won't remember exactly, but something to the effect of, you might all notice that I look different today. Um, I, th I have a, I don't remember what you said. You had a, a meeting at maybe the VA or to, mm -hmm. to, I think somewhere, maybe the VA, you had to go do something work related or something like that. And you, you told the whole class, I didn't feel comfortable dressing like myself. So I dressed like this today. So I would be safe, but I just want you all to know that that's, you know, and I just, I looked at, I looked at your face. I looked at your face and you looked so, you looked so sad. Yeah. You looked so sad. You looked so, you looked hollow. You looked deflated. And it, mm -hmm. in that moment, it completely transformed everything I thought I knew about trans people because I knew in that moment, I was like, this is not Monica. There's a piece of her missing right now as I'm looking mm -hmm. at her. Mm -hmm. This is not her. Her was the her I met before. This is yeah, this is a costume. Yeah. That was my first thought. And my second thought was how courageous you must be to educate us all in that moment, given what you must have been feeling. That was so courageous. Yes. Thank you for that. And also, you shouldn't have had to do that, you know? Yeah, but then I had to. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, one thing is knowing where you live in, knowing the world in which I move, uh, and, uh, and uh, being in the wisdom to know how to move. Um, you know, there's certain things, because safety is always paramount in a trans person's life. Physical safety, spiritual safety, all is all about safety, and within that, and within that discussion, you have the thing called transformation that takes place all of the time. Uh, and so, when I have to go different, I mean, I do that now. I'm in a different space, but at that moment, one, I was coming out of the military. I was I retired military. So I retired from the military. You know, I'm still learning myself. So well, how do I move with this stuff? What do I do? How do I do this? I had several uh, incidents in San Francisco. I thought San Francisco was all at the bag of chips. No, it's not. <laughs> several uh, verbal altercation with folks. Uh, and so I had to be careful how I move. So what it gets to the point is it's not. Uh, just about the clothes you wear or the physicality of who a person is, but it's that spiritual depth that you are. Because for me, trans spirituality is not just a physicality thing, you know. So, uh, but that that was a space, a very tense, a very tense space, a very fearful space, a space on the one hand where, uh, okay. People being able to see different facets of who I am, well, that's cool, but that's difficult. But at the same time, having to move in different spaces, that was a hard time, very difficult. Uh, but I couldn't be here unless I went through that. Yeah. I just think of so much about what that means to be who you are and show up as you are and the difficulty in not just blackness, mm -hmm. not just womanhood, but black trans womanhood and having to move. And it is, I mean, I, when you talk about it, I can only understand a fraction of what you're talking about from my experience as a black woman and having to move differently, right? Having to move and be certain things in certain ways. And this is when we talk about covering, right? Like I have to cover, I have to adorn myself in many different ways so that I can one, be alive, right? And then two, receive services that I, should be due because I did a service to this country exactly. or received services in any, you know, it's kind of like when you put on your white voice and you get on the phone and you go, and my, I, I did that once and my husband asked me, he said, why'd you sound like that when you're on the phone? I said, cause I need a place to live and this woman has to rent to me. Yeah. Right. So you have right. to change who you are and in a, in a, assimilate to a culture. But I, I always think about that when, for me going through school, as a clinical social worker, I always, when I read the DSM and all the things that belong in there, it was really people's mental health was adapting to the world that was in front of them and they had, they had to change around it. So I think about so much of what you said and putting on this cloak 
and then being wanting to take it off to oh, be yeah. who you are, to be who you are now, but getting through all of those things for you to be who you are now. Yeah, wow. because you know, there are service, certain services that I could not get being black and trans. I mean, if you even if you're white and trans, you might get more services than if you're black and trans. Right. Wow. No. Uh, if you're white and trans, you can be in Silicon Valley. If you're black and trans, you may be on the street in San Francisco. Right. You'd be on Skid Row versus you know in the building. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a tenderloin somewhere. So, I mean, it's a very different. So, uh, knowing how to navigate the oppression that's there intentionally requires a lot of thought and a lot of strategizing. There's certain, so I'll give you a good example. So, uh, a lot of, I have friends, trans friends down south. I'm not going down there, but like, you can save money down there. It's lower cost of living in California, of course, but then you couldn't leave out the house because you're so fearful and afraid of getting hurt. Right. So it's always a matter of strategizing, but you know, the strategy didn't just start with the trans folks. They've been, we've been doing this for like, how long now? Trying to strategize how to move through the, through the white supremacist imagination, that kind of thing. So at PSR, go ahead, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was just going to say, what you talked about is being, even the cost of being trans is higher, right? I can't live in certain places because I can't live my life and do anything, right? Not just, you know, I can't live my life all as fabulous as I want to, but I may not be able to walk out of my door and have to my regular job mm -hmm. in a, in in the South. So the cost of living for trans people is higher. It's higher. It's higher. I mean, you can't even get, you can't even get uh, AIDS, uh, aid, you know, as far as funding and stuff for HIV and AIDS in the South. Oh no, can't get that. I mean, and then of course, down there you also have families that when they have a, a child that come out as trans, oh, well, they're just evil and needs exorcism. I mean, it's just that bad, you know? So uh, at least where I am now, I can do the work I'm called to do. I can drive around Northern California, mindful of where I am, of course, you know, uh, but it's very different. So yeah, even so, even at PSR, I'm strategizing on how to move where I, and what I need, and not to become too naive, I'm at, I'm at PSR, <laughs> you know, like, the world like peace I'm good. Like not Always. to drop your guard. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on, and I'm, I, I know you do, because we, we talked about it briefly before this, this show, but would love to get your thoughts on how people use faith as a weapon against trans and LGBTQ and people of color. I mean, it, I think a lot of people turn their back on faith because of that, but it's really interesting that you have run harder into faith as a, you know, a, a refuge from those things is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Um, so for me, I came out in the Bible belt, right? We're talking Virginia. You know, I had a pagan therapist, uh, wonderful pagan therapist. You're the MW pagan. Um, uh, she loved, you know, a tree hugger, the whole nine yards. Uh, and through her, I actually met uh, one of my colleagues and oldest mentor, Jonathan Thunderworth, who's a trans man, came out in a Baptist church in Virginia. Wow. Bold. Uh, you know, so I I went all through the, the uh, Native American theology experience and stuff, drumming circles and stuff, and why right back smack in the church. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> well, this is where you need to be because we got to help the church out. That's kind of what happened. Um, okay. Because, you know, so when you really dig down into scripture and faith, it is about liberation and hope and peace, right? But when you have a white supremacist Christian nationalism out there, you've got to have something else to push back against it. Um, so my work really is about educating people around progressive liberal faith not around white supremacy and Christian nationalism. And you have, unfortunately, um, the way this country is structured, it's structured so that uh, the belief system would support money, pure and simple money. 
Yes. Uh, that's not what the church is supposed to be about. That's not what the faith is supposed to be about. I mean, uh, money and these things might be an implication of what faith is, but it's not supposed to be the center of faith. Um, and so being able to express that, explain that, uh, is really important. So somebody has to come in and save the church. <laughs> you know, the church needs to be saved. That's well, awesome. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a that's a work that you put on yourself. <laughs> I, I didn't want this, but this is what uh, I've been given. I mean, uh, right, right. I wonder. Call when we're called. And, uh, huh? When we're called to do certain things. Yeah, I mean, I, it's filed in a uh, sojourn meeting and. Uh, I said that Melissa Harris Perry, I don't know if you heard or not, Melissa Harris Perry. Yeah. Said, you got to do what? <laughs> that's, like, that's too much. That's too much. Well, that's what we're called to do. Right. Uh, Have you had many, any success? Me, but many, many others. Say again, Mel. <laughs> Have you had any success yet in that mission? Yeah, some, some success, but it's a, it's a tall order. It's <laughs> a tall order. <laughs> I'd love to see some of the people you teach and see some of the things that you've taught them, right? Like the, the impact that you've had um, is just what I'm wondering. Like, I'd, I'd love to meet some of them. So I'll definitely be following, <laughs> following up oh, yeah. and being like, where is Do Reverend Dr. Monica Cross? Because yeah. um, just the, that pure exposure to, to more people, to, different life to, to different walks of life, different facets of life, um, hopefully it'll help people. And then you speak such such a powerful place of understanding and liberation, I can only imagine, right? So yeah. I'd love to ask about your books now. So you wrote two, two have you written two books? Two books, uh-huh. Two books, yeah. So, so one is about authenticity and imagination, is that right? In the face of yeah, oppression? Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Um, so that one, that one to me is, is quite interesting. So I'd love to hear about that. But you also wrote a second book called A Prophet Without Honor. Is that about your work, uh, working within faith systems and, and trying to be a prophetic voice there? Yeah. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. Cause so be a prophetic voice in the space where it's not wanted. So when your prophetic voice in the midst of, of white supremacy or prophetic voice in the midst of oppression, uh, where folks don't want to hear you, they don't want to hear that. Uh, that's where that book comes from. Because, you know, it's like uh, stretching people. People don't like to be stretched. They don't like to think. They don't like to be stretched. Be careful about that. But that's what I and others do. We stretch them. Like, how can this be? How, how did you do that? Or how does that work? You know, even being Reverend Doctor, people was like, how did you get that? That's not supposed to happen. Well, here I am. <laughs> I am. Well, that really, I mean, being a biblical scholar myself, you know, that really aligns actually with the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. The prophets uh -huh. were n true prophets. They were always cast outside the city and people threw rocks at them. They're like, uh -huh. stop talking. We don't want to hear want from to hear you anymore. Right? A, a true prophet does not say things that make them popular. So maybe yeah. that's a sign that you're doing the right kind of work. <laughs> you're doing it right. If you, uh, you know, if, if you're really pushing people in ways that they're not ready for or don't want to be pushed, but you're doing it for the sake of liberation. Yeah. I mean, I went to, uh, so the disciples had the called a general assembly where all of the churches come to a general assembly uh like a big convention and mm -hmm. we're there trying to push forward uh gender inclusion and learning about trans stuff as a proposal for the church uh and you know i got up did my little spiel and uh folks were like what <laughs> they were not happy <laughs> you got some other folks who came after me wanting to uh, put the proposal back in the box, throw it away and stuff like that. But I said, all I could see was, was black trans women being murdered. Wow. You know? Wow. And you're yeah. going to put this proposal back in a box? Oh, yeah. It was, in fact, after that, it's like, my God, you do that. You know, it's just a spirit. And plus, I, I, was, I was so incensed. 
that they wouldn't want a proposal that made people live and thrive. It's just incensed. But yeah, so that was it passed. Uh, but I realized there are folks, some folks don't want to hear, they want to hear what uh, they're comfortable with. They don't want to hear what they're not comfortable with. Um, yeah, anyway, yeah, so that's kind of, you know, so it was, but then if I don't do that, that's why I get mental health issues. Right. Interesting. So, so one part- of the that you said about that is that um, in, in thinking about why and when you address an assembly like that, it's not just, it's about, you know, life or death for many people. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. so much that right now the church and religiosity are on the decline in many places because it's not open, because um, it's it hasn't been welcoming spaces. So how do you in your faith practice make sure you're creating and professing for welcoming space. I will say, and I'll, and I'll say, I'll say it this way. Like for me, I, I left Christian. I, I, I did that. You know, everybody goes through there figuring out their religiosity. Right. Yeah. right? Uh, and for me, it was, it was 15, 16. And I grew like my grandmother, they held service for my grandmother's birthday. Like she was, she went into her phone, praise the Lord. That's how she answered the phone. Like that's, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, like when you call her house, she'd be like, praise the Lord. That's how she uh, would do. <laughs> that's, that's how I grew up. The first time she bought me uh, pants for Easter, my whole family was aghast. Like, she bought you pants, right? Like my same woman. So for me, I started, you know, deconstructing what it meant to be a Christian in my own life at 15, 16 years old. And for me, I just didn't find myself under under the understanding and being a part of Christianity because I didn't see a place for Mm -hmm. the liberation. And when you talk about the work that you do, it's talk, it, it sounds so inclusive and um, liberating. And, and for me, I, had, I hadn't found that. Like, I, be, I always tell people, I believe in God. I don't know about his peoples, some of his people. I don't know about some of them. Some, not, not, the, not even the disciples, but like his believers. Like, I don't right. know about them, but I know about God. I ain't got to worry about him. I worry about y'all. So how do you do that work in your ministry so that it is a, a radically inclusive and liberating space. Well, you know, it's interesting. So my my doctorate was on radically inclusive hospitality. <laughs> That's my doctorate. <laughs> Hit it on the money, Tasha. Nice. <laughs> radically. I mean, I mean, I mean that's what cuz that's what I care about, right? Like I don't you can't cast people away and expect them to believe in you. You have to bring them in. Right. I'm gonna, now, now I'm going to be looking for your doctorate and, and, and reading about radically inclusive hospitality. Wow. That's my next book. I've, I've got it. It's already out on the table, ready to be published. I guess. Okay. Okay. Well, then I'll be, I'll, I'll wait, I'll wait for the book. Make sure you get some profit off of that. I'll wait for the book. But how do you, in your book, what do you, and I'm, you know, from what you've already mm-hmm. written, what does that look like for you? How do you do that so that it's not casting people out, but calling people in, welcoming people in? First of all, I mean, it, it, those folks who come to the church, whatever the church, it's not up to the church. It's not up to me or anybody. When, when, when a person shows up, whoever they are and where they, wherever they are, you take them on in. Come on in, you know. And you've always got a space for them already, no matter who or what they are. That's what you do, you know, because you realize. I mean, I realize that. I'm gonna get too religious here. Jesus came from the farthest point out at the time, right? He didn't come, he didn't show up at the center of town. No, Jesus came from the outside. Mm-hmm. So if we're gonna if we're gonna follow the life of Jesus, not of white supremacy, but of Jesus, then we've got to make sure that our love at the, the, the farthest points. And when they come in. And they haven't had their meds yet, or they haven't had whatever the stuff they need to have. Fine, no problem. Come on in. You know, I mean, it's we shouldn't have any barriers or boundaries around who come to the church. Uh, I don't care if somebody say, "Well, we haven't had the training around open and affirming." That's not the point, because the person you put out could be Jesus, right? So. 
that's what that's about. And to some extent, I have no problem with the church losing people. I have no problem at all. Some folks don't need it. <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that. Well, it, it, I hear you because sometimes people need to go out to come back in, right? Things need to, right. as you said in the beginning, fall apart to come back together. That's so right. if they leave the church, maybe they. Right. there's always a space for you here, but go out and get yourself together and come back in yeah. or be ready to be transformed in all of our brokenness. Yeah, and, and that's what's going on in the church now. The church is being transformed. It's being changed by the spirit. Now, what the church is going to look like uh, down the line, I don't know. But it's further. It's not our church. It belongs to Jesus. That's the first first thing, right? Uh, we're here by the grace of God in the church, whatever that church looks like for us. Uh, and so the church is going to change. Like everything else changes. Now, what that church looked like on the other side, who knows? But that's what's what is, going on right now. So what does it for look me, like for for the American church to to get rid of white supremacy? I don't even, can't even imagine what that would look like. Do you have any thoughts or advice for people who are trying to decolonize their faith? You know, uh, that's some hard, hard work. <laughs> <laughs> not an easy one there, there are folks who are doing some work around radical inclusion when it comes to to white supremacists and there there are some folks who escaped from it and they're going back to call to new consciousness for those folks that's not my call but that's their call uh so folks are doing that work uh because they realize that that's not the church that's a social club that's not the church you know um because when you read the teachings of Jesus, even if wherever you are, when you read, actually read about Jesus, like, wait a minute. So is that, that's not the church. So folks are doing that work. Uh, yeah. But radical inclusion is still going on, even in that space. This just looks a little bit different. It's funny because when I, when I experience, like, having, knowing some of the stories of the Bible or engaging with people who are Christian, I experienced them as the people who cast Jesus out and not the people who <laughs> were ready for it. And, and, and I feel like that, and people don't, I don't understand how people don't see that when they, in these spaces where they're not radically inclusive, they are those people, but they don't see themselves as that. They'll be like shouting at, at LGBTQ people to accept God. I'm like, do you realize that, that you're not, Mm -hmm. you, you see it? Like, you know what I mean? That's how I see yeah. that. I walked into a, a store out of Virginia and a lady said, evil, just plain evil. <laughs> I'm like, about you? Yeah, they call me evil. Oh. I'm like, I, don't, I had just come from church, too. Uh, <laughs> I think my, exactly in my book, Authenticity and Imagination, about, you know, being called evil in the grocery store. Uh, after I had come from church. Uh, yeah. But the indoctrination is so deep, you know. Uh, they had a civil war over this indoctrination. I mean, so trying to, so our job is to somehow alleviate that, that indoctrination. But not up to us. It's up to, to the spirit to do it. We just have to stay the course. So in your book, Authenticity and the Imagination, what brought that book about? What brought made what made you want to sit down and author that book? What what lives in that work for you? Well part yeah. Uh part of, it's a come out of my own life teachings. Uh and it's a way to say so other folks are going through something similar. They can read that book. Oh, okay, I see how that might work. So it gives some people kind of hope. Uh the other part is also how do we strategize in these spaces? You know, what does that look like um, to go up against transgender anti-trans legislation? What is that? How do you address that? So it's kind of those kind of things. It's kind of my own life in these spaces. As we've been talking, my brain keeps going back to this idea, and it, I might be stealing this from a scholar. I apologize. You might, you might actually. Uh, no, Monica, who said this or what this is from, but the, defining marginalization as making people's bodies political. 
making people's bodies political, that our bodies become political, like our bodies as women, our bodies as trans women, our bodies as black mm -hmm. people, you know, as whoever we are, um, that the only people who escape that politicization of our of their bodies are like straight white men, right? Everyone else has to deal with Oh, yeah. anti-trans legislation or has to deal with uh people reading their bodies in a grocery store and deciding that that means something bad just mm -hmm. by nature of who they are um and how frustrating that is and how unfair that is that that the, just the way that i am in the world means that someone will seek to control me in some capacity or judge yeah. me yeah I mean, I think, uh, I mean, Audre Lorde kind of got that to me. Her Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks kind of did that. Toni Morrison, you know, it's like, you know, but also uh, there's a guy uh, uh, talking about the white gays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, these kind of, you know, those kind of books kind of like, oh, well, yeah, okay, that's what that, that's about. You know, so while it was from a very much a black experience, not specifically trans, but you realize it's from a black experience and what they're going through and how these different structures don't really change. It's still the same stuff. <laughs> it's still the same stupid evil stuff. They don't change. Uh, and when, you know, so in way, in the, while the personal is political, you know, I mean, when I get up in the morning to walk out the door with a black trans woman, okay, I have to encounter uh, police who are ignorant. I got to encounter grocery store owners who are uh, just terrible. Uh, a lot of stuff when I walk through the day is about just a political uh, concern, you know. I mean, it would be nice not to have to think about this stuff, just to you know, just to be like white guys, not have to think. <laughs> I'll say that because that's so true because I went to the only, and somebody asked me, do you think about being black all the time? And I was like, there was one time I can remember not feeling that when I went to a, the white privilege conference and I went and sat in the park and I was like, whoo, I just sat in the park. But other than that, it's it's all the time. It's everything you encounter. It's that, that yeah. white person that frowned at you and the white person who smiled at you, right? Because yeah. you don't know what's behind these things. So it is, it's so much. And I can only imagine in the privilege that I sit in as a cis woman, not having to think about certain things, right? So, yeah. yeah I mean, that's why I do the poor people's campaign work, uh, you know, and I do that work because it needs to be done. You know, when you've got folks who are starving, homeless, across the spectrum, um, you just can't sit by and not do anything because you realize in order to fix this problem, you have to have a voting block, you know, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. What, what for you has been the impact of the a lot of the states passing anti-trans legislation? You mentioned that earlier. I wanted to make sure we circled back to it. Well, you know, I have a, a friend down in Mississippi and Alabama and Florida, different places. Some folks say, you know, one lady said she's going to commit suicide. It was so bad. No. Oh, yeah. my God. <clears throat> And then I, then I have uh, one of my oldest mentors, a trans man. Um, they're living in Texas, outside of Dallas. And these places are just as backwards as, you know, uh, we got our own Taliban over there. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, you know, so, I mean, I was talking to my friend the other day. I mean, he goes so much stress. He's a trans man. He has so much stress, it's hard for him, for him to enjoy life because he's always under stress. While he couldn't afford to stay here in California, so he moved to Texas. But Texas is so it's cheap, but then, you know, it, it's, it, you can't walk outside, like I was saying. And the thing is, it was, it was really interesting. Uh, when he moved into this place, there are crosses everywhere. <laughs> everywhere there were crosses. 
but at the same time, if they know who, who he was, those crosses would be used to hate. So it's it's that's 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 why yeah it has a negative impact on me. But my only hope is in the work that I do to somehow address those issues. So I wanted to get your thoughts on something that has been in the media <clears throat> as of late, shifting gears a little bit, and the in the ten so or, or so minutes we have left. So in the media, and, and Mel, I want to hear your your thoughts as well. Um, we've been the, the trailer for the the new live action Little Mermaid came out, mm-hmm. and for me, it was it was so it meant so much to me. So I'll I'll, I'll tell a little story to the audience. Um, when I grew up, there were no black princesses. There were you know in the the eighties and nineties. Even though there, I think Sleeping Beauty is the the oldest one in nineteen fifty three, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So there were no princesses of color, well, black princesses until Aladdin came out. And as I was telling some of my friends this story recently, I remember going to the Scholastic Books Fair, and that that's me dating myself as a 90s kid, right? <laughs> going to the Scholastic Book Fair and looking through uh-huh. different things. And the only thing that I had found was um, paper doll, Aladdin and Jasmine paper dolls. So I bought these Aladdin and Jasmine paper dolls. But I remember specifically feeling like, well, there's no black one, so the brown one must be it, right? And even that felt distorted for me. So, And I was saying, uh, you know, the first time uh, a black princess came out was 2009 with the Princess and the Frog. And I remember distinctly, and I took a picture of it, and I'm sure it's somewhere in my Google photos. Um, I was walking down the street on my way to work, and there was a school on my way in the path and there were two little black girls with their little book bags and their character book bags and one had Doc McStuffins whose mother is a doctor and her dad's a stay home dad and she's a little her mom's a doctor so she pretends to be a doctor to all her stuffed animals Doc McStuffin and one little girl had that backpack and the other one had a princess Tiana princess of the frog backpack and it it stopped me in my breath to just like see that because they had that representation that I didn't have and it made me so happy so to see you know, this, you know, live action princess. Now I'm not a child, but mm-hmm. what I had taken from so much of this was uh, little black girls who would see themselves. And there's just been so much backlash from people trying to, and the most ridiculous backlash, you know, it always is ridiculous. They're like, well, what about Hans Christian Andersen and the the, the, the original story of the Dutch? We're not staying, or they even go into the other one being, and this this one gets me, if if it was if we were really sticking to the fact that she was a mermaid under the sea, she would not be black because there's no sun. She'd actually be translucent. And I'm like, so I just want and I know that and so I wanted to get her thoughts on it too, because I know that um mermaids actually have I've heard a lot of trans people in my life and in, in general talk about mermaids being kind of a symbol for trans people and just the, yeah. how the body different than other bodies. So I wanted to get your take on what you've seen, some of the backlash you heard, and like what gives you joy or or have or your thoughts about um, the new live action Little Mermaid. Yeah, you know, The Little Mermaid was one of the first um, movies I looked at when I started coming out. It's about you know because it's something about authenticity and transition that the that the Little Mermaid really kind of like wow I feel that way and then feeling out of place at that. You know, I'm like, yeah, she had tried her dad and stuff like that who loved her and all, but she still felt out of place. There was a disconnect. Until she actually transitioned, and I say transition, not in a heteronormative sense, but just transitioning, uh, her transition made her feel whole again. It made her feel whole. You know, she had to come out of water and feel, <laughs> feel whole. So it's As like, they're coming out of <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so there's a, there's also a thing of rebirth, you know, a thing of a different consciousness and different connections. Oh my goodness, yeah, that that, that brought a little life to me, right? Along nutty buddies, but yeah, I mean, that was a little, little. And you know, and uh, and I, I realized that the, the more so, white guys don't like to be decentered. They don't like that. Right. <laughs> they hate being decentered. 
uh, even when the Black Panther came out, they were mad about that. <laughs> so now they talk about having a White Panther. I'm like, there is actually a group of the White Panthers. <laughs> 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 yeah, decentering them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's well, that and that takes me back to Jesus. Jesus decentered the empire, uh, and we see what happened to him. But that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right, Little Mermaid. She sings, "I want to be part of that world." Like there's this 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 desire for belonging and. Mm -hmm. I never thought about all this. It's amazing. It's true. Oh, yeah. so I've oh, just yeah. been grappling with what the, so for me, and I'll say, you know, all of this backlash has been so wild because they've like Halle Bailey has gotten death threats to be mm -hmm. lynched because of her not to do this movie. But for me, one of the things that grabbed me solace was, and you know, I'm a, Mel and I are, are students of TikTok University, is watching people film their young children watching this trailer and seeing that this this princess looks like them and i honestly I, the first time i saw it i was sitting on my couch with my husband and i cried because i didn't know how much it meant for me to see myself seeing themselves through them so it was mm -hmm. kind of like a, a simple thing mm -hmm. and it really has brought me you know regardless of what people will always have backlash as you said because yeah, people don't like to be captured. um but to see these young black girls even there, there was a woman who i follow her her daughter's autistic and even she like grabbed some meaning from it right like mm. she was like that right like she looks like me so to see that is just so much of it just it just resonated so hard and and i don't know mel what what that may have looked like for you in disney princess and whether you even like <clears throat> I, I have vowed not to let my daughter when i have her um watch princesses at all because I was just not sure what that like. I didn't, also the message that comes behind being a princess and is is weird to me and monarchies and all of that. But because there was never she was never going to find herself in that. So I don't know. I'd love to hear from you, Mel, if there was something that resonated with you or if you've seen some of this stuff. The trailer was beautiful. I was I was incensed at the white reaction to the trailer and all the weird weird negativity and the ridiculous things white people were saying and. And do they even realize how racist they're being? They don't, they don't and they won't recognize it. And it's really, really frustrating. It's really frustrating. I'm sure mm -hmm. it's much more frustrating for y'all than it is for me. But you know, to your question, representation has never been a, a thought that has crossed my mind because most Disney princesses look like me, right? White skin, blonde hair. It's, it's, it's mm -hmm. always been that way. Um, however, I can make another corollary. And I know, Monica, you mentioned that you love sci-fi. Is that right? Sci-fi and yeah, fantasy? Yeah, uh-huh. So I'm a big fantasy reader, and recently I discovered a series of books by a female author named Sarah Moss, and I had never read a, a woman writing fantasy, and the characters hit different. The female characters hit different. They're, they're stronger. They're more complex. They're, they're, more, um, they're more heroic in so many ways, and, and I think I, that really helped me understand kind of this bridge to why representation matters in a genre that I love. So I think I can make some comparisons there yeah. for myself. Yeah. Um, Monica, w tell us about sci-fi and fantasy. You you wanted us to ask you about this. So is this something that you're <laughs> passionate about? Yeah, so uh, along with Little Mermaid, I did the Star Trek episode where Captain Kirk turned into a girl. Oh, I didn't know about that. Really? Yeah. So I used to watch Star Trek. <laughs> it's the original one. It's the original Star yes. Trek. Okay. And uh, it's actually one of been the last one, too. So uh, they go to this this uh, this, this uh, space outpost, and old flame he had rejected is there. She's got this machine, and she's trying to get back at him. Uh, and so she puts somehow he fell out. She puts him on this machine, and they have like a, a, a spinning thing that goes around and around. Next thing you know, she's him and he's her. Like a Freaky uh, Friday sort of thing, <laughs> like inhabiting each other's body. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so that was that's one thing. And then uh, Lord of the Rings. So just different movies and stuff. Star Trek. I mean, all the for me, sci-fi gets such a, a vast imagination of what could be. Like yeah. the Avengers, DC Comics. Uh, like wow, this could act. they're superheroes. So sometimes I really think that my superpower being transgender, that's my superpower. 
Yeah, you know, I, I love that. Good. 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 You know, so oh yeah, I'm, I'm stuck on DC comics. All it's so funny because I did hear a TikToker talk about why it's so important to have representation in fantasy because so much of fantasy is written from other people's pain and turmoil, right? Yeah. And having super superpowers to overcome it, you know. Um, even uh, the, the, I think the Marvel comics in the seventies with so much of, you know, the Black Panther, right? He was Black Panther, that's what created the Black Panther. But just to even, because black people can then uh, imagine a world that doesn't feel as harsh as the one we're living in exactly. and to see ourselves. And I remember Whoopi Goldberg, who was in, I think the next generation, was she in Next Generation, I believe? Yeah, she in Next Generation, yeah. Uh-huh. Talked about, and I actually, that's the one I actually watched a lot more when I was a kid um, was because she, she, she talked about why playing, you know, the, you know, taking on the, the, the torch from Michelle Nichols in mm-hmm. the, the original connection was black people being able to see themselves in the future because the present can be so harsh and disgusting for yeah. us. Right. And that, that thought of fantasy and the thought of futurism, there's even like, there's even a scholarly um, um, body of work called Afro, Afrofuturism because okay. The, the now can be so uh, damning and can be so heavy on us that to see ourselves in fantasy and in the future and without all of these things are is is a place that that black people find themselves. This is why we, we have the term blurred black nerds. I am not a fantasy person, but I do I do love um, Black Panther. And I you know, listen, I so that's the only movie I've seen in the movie theaters three times. That and get out. But just being able to see ourselves in that. I think there's also a new quantum leap coming out with an American. Yep, sure is. To see that representation. So to hear you say that is that. And I love that you say being trans is your superpower because I live that in my in my in my own identity as a black woman. Like I I, I recently said to someone that. I, everything I do is because I'm a black woman. Everything. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a gardener, it's because I'm a I'm a good black woman gardener. If I'm a an astrophysicist, it's because I'm a good black astrophysicist. Because for me to be here, I came through other black women, yeah, right? And that right. that lived with me. And I had that I had that conversation with my mom, and she was like, "All of the people that we came through led me to be able to sit here and have these, some of these conversations." So I mm-hmm. love that that being trans and transgender being transgender is your superpower oh yeah i really do feel that way i'll get star trek all these different uh fantasy things i really do think that when i when they get mad at the uh 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 the other superheroes they try to make laws against them so it was <laughs> make, make laws against the avengers laws against you have these different superpowers that, that that's what that's about for me yeah that, Superpower. But I will so, say that all the work we're doing now, though, is because of our ancestors who did the work. Right. So the fact that we are in this space where uh, white guys are feeling decentered and other folks have just been stupid and stuff like that, the church is going through stuff, is because a lot of work has been done to get us here. You know, so and I, that's and that, I think that's really my hope is that the work I do is built like you were saying that y'all on the ancestors who've done the work also. Yeah, yeah. I, I was at a conference not too long ago, and somebody said it, and I wrote it down, and it's a truly a posted on my computer, and it says, "I am both an ancestor and a descendant." Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Right, and I'm trying to create my good ancestorhood so that when I am. Um, Mufasa in the in the clouds to, to Simba that I can be there and not you know somewhere else and that I that people can have looked up to me that I made a, I was a light in somebody's life yeah. um, because I'm a descendant but I'm also an ancestor so I, exactly. I guess this is what they you know in 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 you know Christianity that middle passage right like this mm-hmm. is where we are mm-hmm. understanding that. so as we close out are there any last things that you'd like and no I don't know if um. I'm, I'm stepping on your toes to ask if there's any last things that you'd like to put out and um, some closing thoughts that you have about the work that you do about um, your identity as a black trans woman or anything you want would want um, our audience to know about you and your work and all of those things. I'm already putting on my list your next book. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, hope is in doing. 
you know, they say do the work. Uh, you know, if you're not doing the work, then the question for me, am I being hopeful? No matter how hard and difficult the work might be, that's where my hope is. You know, so it's, I mean, I mean yeah, I mean, the more hopeful you are, the more you're going to do the work. It, it's not going to matter about uh, someone else doing something. You know, this is what you have to do, and this is where your hope is, uh, even, even no matter what. And I was uh, pushed on that. In a in a meeting one day, <laughs> like why are you hope doing? Hope is in the work. Hope is in the work. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Thank you for that. You are a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I I feel so like inspired, it. and I feel grateful to you for shining your light so bright. You shine so bright in what you're doing, and I'm I'm so thankful to learn from you and to cheer you on and to support you in any way. I can. I think I speak for the whole show. Everybody on the team, support you in any way we can. Hold Yay, up her next book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yay! <laughs> so I hope that I can only do that work in this lane to make sure that I'm being a light the same way that you are, um, and being able to engage with you. So we we thank you so much for sharing your precious time because time is a precious commodity. Um, we only get so much of it. So thank you for sharing your time with us. Yes, absolutely. Oh, uh, I, thank you. I, I enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.